With a new spin on public radio, this is B-Side. Forget the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. This time on B-Side, we bring you the zookeeper, the Elvis impersonator, and the ballerino, among others. We're looking beyond your typical nine to five jobs as we flip to the B-Side. I've been working in one form or another since I was 10 years old. I started out stocking shelves in my parents' market and moved around from there. Notice I said around and not up. Most of the jobs I've had were short-term engagements, six months or less, and I didn't leave all of them willingly. But each of the 20 or so jobs I've worked on has defined and shaped me in some way, including that three months I spent smearing frosting in the mall at Cinnabon. This time on B-Side, we're looking at the different ways employment makes people who they are, for better or worse. First up, a guy who takes meetings with monkeys. Dale Thompson is the curator of animals at the zoo in Fresno, California. He oversees all the exhibits, including the zoo's newest addition. This is uh, the Sunda Forest. It's a mixed exhibit with the rings and the Sam and Gibbons that you're hearing, the vocalization behind us. These are two females, Saibu and Sarah. She's coming over and taking a look at us. They actually have a throat patch that enlarges with air so they can increase the volume of sound as it comes out. You know, it's a privilege living, working in the zoo to hear sounds like this every day. I have to remind myself, don't get complacent because this is so nice. You know, everybody comes here and this is pretty exotic. For me, who knew as a kid, loved to be around exotic animals, you know, it's been my whole life and enjoyed it. I've always wanted to do it ever since I was a kid. I would comb everybody's hair, I would cut all my doll's hair, you know, nobody would get free of my comb. It was that simple. And if I could get a pair of scissors in the hands, it was even better, but dangerous. My name is Tina. I'm from Denmark originally. Um, I'm a hairdresser, working for Vidal Sassoon. And I've been doing hair for 18 years. I see myself as a hair cutter and not a hairdresser. Um, you call the term hairdresser, but we cut hair to suit people. And uh, I think the creativity to it is just like amazing because somebody actually got to carry that around. It's not an ornament that people can take and put in the back of their closet. They wear it on the head. And, you know, it's the first thing they see. And it's, it's a pretty edgy thing. It's a pretty wonderful thing as well because you're dealing with people at the same time. So I think that's what they drive me. There are a lucky few who get to turn their passion into a career. For Vince Sortelli, that passion is buttons. He's the proprietor of Exclusive Buttons in El Cerrito, California, and he likes to brag he's got over four million of them. Besides Lissa Mudd brings us this profile of the button man. Could I tell you how, why I got into buttons? Well, what happened to me is I went into 14 different things until I found buttons, and I wanted to do something in life that I liked and I'm still doing it. I've been selling buttons for, for 50 years. 
I used to be a, a wholesaler. I used to sell buttons on on cards and, and up to five and dimes and variety stores as a rack jobber. Five and dimes are gone. Uh, and I said, now what am I going to do with all these buttons? So I started a store. And uh, now that now the store has become so popular, I made the who's who of important people in California 10 years ago. And uh, they called me on the phone and and they said they were doing it. I said, why are you doing this? Is it because you're the only button store like this in the whole world? I'm the only button store like this in the whole world. some of the buttons and they're so different and they're beautiful and they come in several sizes and um, and I think I got some here Wait a minute. I don't know here, here it is this is one I'm trying to tell you the women go crazy over this one they go crazy over this one the real crystal one they, they just they just love that one yeah and then they they love these over here these were made in 1910. They just go crazy over, over the stuff that you can't buy anymore. And, and I'm the only one that sells them. And, uh, and, and then I, I like buttons because um, buttons, buttons enhance the garment. I have buttons on original cards from 1900 to 1940s. Buttons they used to sell for 10, 15 cents, and 25 cents. And, and people come into the store from all over the world because I have something you can't buy. And when they leave, a lot of them, they say, whatever you do, don't, don't retire. He says, because we need you. <laughs> And that's why I'm still here. When people come in and they give me the right change, I say, this is right on the button. <laughs> I'm the chief route setter for Touchstone Climbing. We have about uh, somewhere between 60 and 80,000 holds that we have um, on our walls and in our course setting rooms in these gyms and we keep the climbing fresh for our members so that they have new routes to climb each time they come in. We're, we're about uh, 15 feet up the main wall here at class 5. This is a uh, 5.9. It's kind of moderate grade route, not difficult, but not easy. The people that like my routes generally like my routes because of their technical aspects of them. 
have really having to use your feet, really having to use your body, move, turning your body, moving it around. And the people who hate my routes, a lot of times hate them for the same reason. I take a lot of um, pleasure in being a fun dealer. That's what I like to tell my guys we do. My name is Santiago Quintero Ramos. I come from Baja California. I was speaking letters for 20 years. It's hard. All day long, you know, bending, cutting. You get tired. Sometimes you work eight hours, 10 hours, sometimes more. In this country, you know, all around, so many people are cutting lettuce, cutting cauliflower, cutting strawberry. The people who work make five feasting an hour. Everything is expensive. The houses, 550 bucks. So many places are noisy and almost fall down. You know, I would like to somebody hear me. Who's going to hear that? When I think of legislators on vacation, I picture them poring over historic Supreme Court decisions, or at the very least catching up on episodes of the West Wing. But the truth is a bit more surprising. B-Sides' Tamara Keith found two Ohio legislators filling up their part-time schedules with jobs that you wouldn't expect from the suit-and-tie crowd. Ohio State Senator Republican Jim Jordan normally walks the State House in navy blue suits, battling taxes and big government. But when the legislature isn't in session, he has a more casual dress code. There you go. Right, right there, right there, right there. At a wrestling camp in rural Ohio, Coach Jordan is dressed in sweatpants and a threadbare t-shirt as he gives pointers to a couple of teenagers practicing a new move. All right, back in, guys. Nice job. Jordan calls the 35 or so young wrestlers back to the center of the humid gymnasium to show them another technique. The senator gets down on the wrestling mat with one of the counselors and shows them how it's done. And now I pop my hips and hip pipes the other direction. And again, I want to try to spin more than I roll. I want to spin here. In college, Jordan was the top wrestler in the country in his weight class. He spent eight years as an assistant coach at a major university and then all of a sudden was bitten with the political bug. He says he can use his wrestling skills in the state house. Is there a time I'd like to, you know, front headlock some liberals? Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, I guess you, you can you can joke about that. Double inside tie, double leg lift, go. But seriously, Jordan says wrestling and politics aren't so different. I mean, most people recognize I'm one of the most conservative members in the General Assembly. Uh, sort of <clears throat> believe in that. Um, you know, free market, individualistic type of uh, 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 philosophy, and I, I would say wrestling probably helped shape some of that. There we go, nice job, nice job. Back up moving, double elbow binds, double leg lift, go. Some lawmakers sell cars or teach when they're not making laws. In Ohio, one Democratic senator is a locomotive engineer, while another works in her family's funeral business. First-term representative John Schleister is a farmer. Schleister tries to get the attention of his hogs as they all scurry away from him in their pen. 
Schleister also grows corn and soybeans on 1,800 acres. He says farming and legislating do have a lot in common. You know, when the crop's ready, you need to harvest it. The budget's up, you work on it. You deal with the problems you have, you take them head on, and, and you try to, to work through them. When he's in the state house, Schleister admits he sometimes calls the farm to check on things. And he also occasionally takes care of state business from behind the wheel of a tractor or combine. Legislative aide Erin Smith says her boss's side job gives her plenty of fodder for the statehouse water cooler. You know, when he was harvesting last year, we were still in session, so I'd, you know, I'd call and be like, oh, this person called, wants to set up a meeting, is that okay? Are you going to be able to be there with, you know, being out on the, you know, needing to get harvest done? And he'd be like, yeah, whatever. So you hear the tractor in the background, or he'll be like, I got to call you back, you, can, you know, can't hear you, or, you know, whatever. So it, sometimes it's kind of hard that way, but he's always accessible. Representative Schleister says no matter how long his political career lasts, he will continue farming. It's hard to give up. It's, it's nothing like, you know, it's nothing like planting that crop and there's nothing like completing that harvest. And that's just, um, you know, those are the things that you, that you live to do. And, well, he doesn't have much of a choice. He has his kids' college tuition to cover and his state paycheck isn't paying the bills. For B-Side, I'm Tamara Keith in rural Ohio. Now that your picture's in the paper being rhythmically admired, you can have it all that you have ever desired. All you gotta tell me now is wow, 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 wow. Welcome to the working week. Oh, I know it don't thrill you. I hope it don't kill you. Welcome to the working week. You gotta do it till you do it till you get again. On university campuses, in research labs all across the country, there are people who spend hours and hours doing work none of us understand. Take Max Bernstein. He's a chemist trying to figure out if life can form in harsh solar environments. It's easier if he explains. You get up in the morning, and the first thing you do is you get some liquid nitrogen. Some people have to have coffee first thing in the morning. I need to have liquid nitrogen. My colleagues and I reproduce interstellar ice chemistry. And today, we're trying to reproduce the conditions in a dense molecular cloud. So we're going to use my closed cycle helium refrigerator. It works like a normal refrigerator, but instead of using Freon, my refrigerator uses helium. I mean, I've got a lot of really cool equipment in my lab, and that's really neat. But my favorite part of the job isn't the day-to-day -day part. It's not like turning on the laser, although that's fun. I like the puzzle-solving aspect of the job, where there's something out there, and you're trying to figure out what it is. And it's just a matter of putting together the pieces. My name is Jim Sofranco. I'm a professional ballet dancer. I dance for the San Francisco Ballet. You could call us a ballerino with an O, or just a male dancer. We're in rehearsals for The Nutcracker right now. We do 40 performances of The Nutcracker. It's our big money maker. I've probably done The Nutcracker 300 times. We get tired of it by the 40th the show. Even by the 10th show, you get tired of it. But it's something that we know we have to do to help the company survive. And there are lots of people out there who love coming to see The Nutcracker. Children come see The Nutcracker, and it's the highlight of their holiday season and some of them may even want to become dancers or come see our shows later. Every show you have to remember that there's a full house out there that wants to see the best performance that you can give. Our next job tale is not the kind of thing you want to listen to over cornflakes, so I hope you're not eating. Death, dismemberment, decomposition, 
For most people, they're too disgusting to think about. But a select few look them in the eye every day. Then they clean them, bag them up, and dispose of the waste. Molly Peterson brings us the gory story of crime scene cleaners. My job is cleaning up gore, biohazard, feces, urine, vomit, blood, you name it, we clean it. You can still hear a little Santa Cruz surfer in his voice, but Neil Smither was once a mortgage lender. Then he scraped barnacles off boats. Then he sold appliances. He never would have thought to be a professional crime scene cleaner if it weren't for Harvey Keitel. It's 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. Neil was just another aimless job hopper when Pulp Fiction struck him like a lightning bolt. You're Jimmy, right? This is your house? Sure is. I'm Winston Wolf. I solve problems. Good, we got one. So I heard. May I come in? Now Neil sells his cleanup services to motel chains, cops, coroners, and the families of the deceased in a Domino's pizza-like fashion. Low prices and delivery in 60 minutes or less. I'm talking fast, fast, fast. You need to go in the back seat, scoop up all those little pieces of brain and skull. Get it out of there. After seven years, Neil's business, called Crime Scene Cleaners, is in 11 states. And the work still keeps his interest. It's fun. You don't know what's coming. It's exciting to get there. And you get there and the tape's there and they lift the tape. You drive through and there's blue lights are everywhere. And we get to see a lot of stuff that, you know, 99% of the populace just is not exposed to. And doesn't want to be. But plenty of eager souls come pounding on his door looking for work. The trick is separating the ones who can handle the gore from the ones who relish handling it in a creepy way. The creeps are drawn in by what Neil calls the romanticized view. The yellow police tape, the blue lights. Most of the time, it's a lot more mundane. I don't see anything out of the ordinary. It just looks dirty. Sean Clark is Neil's number two guy. He's inside a police van looking for whatever it was the cops want gone. It's a bread and butter job, discounted to make nice with the local authorities. 50 bucks, 10 minutes, just your run-of-the-mill blood and vomit. There's not much to clean up, and it's all dry, so Sean doesn't even put on the Tyvek suit and respirator he uses for more serious jobs. You can't buy the enzyme crime scene cleaners uses to mop up messes. Neil's got the license for it, it's mixed up special. You could use what Neil did back in the day, Simple Green. It's a degreaser, and he says it's like magic for cleaning dried brains. Let your imagination run wild for a second. The worst thing they clean, the worst place. A freak accident, a murder, a drug OD. Whatever you can imagine, I've seen worse. So whatever your grossest, most disturbing thing is in your mind, I can top it. Sean's truck is packed with empty bottles and dirty clothes from a dead junkie's house that he cleaned out a few days earlier, all securely tied down under a ripped-up carpet that smells like a combination of old lady and pee. He's already had his hands in this mess once, but because junkies tend to stash needles in every jacket pocket, he's thinking about combing through all of this stuff one more time before he dumps it. Not just because it's illegal to dump hypodermics. Sean's afraid of needles, and he's afraid of getting someone stuck only had one nightmare. It was probably my very first junkie house. And I had a, a nightmare that I was falling into this dumpster full of needles. And they kept sticking in me and I kept trying to claw my way out and I was begging, help me, help me, they're sticking in me. I kept falling back in and getting more of them in me. And I can still remember like the, the pain in my dream and like wincing up of like the, you know, the needles. That paranoia, that anality, 
That's what company owner Neil says makes Sean a good crime scene cleaner. Sean seems like he could have grown up on the next cul-de-sac over in the Burbs, but he would have been the one in trouble. He was a skate rat kid and a dropout. But this job's made him more respectful of other people. He still hates authority, but all that time around cops adds up. Sometimes he talks like one. And as jaded as he is about dead junkies, other corpses amaze him. I didn't realize how many people commit suicide and are really courteous. Like, that was one of the first things that, like, kind of blew my mind is the first couple times I'd done jobs where someone had wrapped themselves up in a towel or a blanket and then shot themselves. So, like, they were in so much pain to get out, but they didn't want to upset anybody or do it in a sleeping bag or do it under the cover so there isn't any splatter. But they just wanted out. And now, actually, we joke about it when we get one of those. Oh, yeah, the person was real considerate. Plenty of people aren't that thoughtful or don't have time to be or are too crazy to be. Swapping stories about the worst thing they've ever seen is a crime scene cleaner pastime. They'll call each other's radios and cell phones after the mind-boggling jobs. So if you ask Neil what the worst thing he's ever seen is, be prepared. He might just tell you. This guy was 600-pound pig trapped in his bed. He couldn't get up, so he would urinate in whatever he was holding and pour it on the floor. The guy would crap in his hand and he'd throw it. So over years years, which is a mind blower in itself, it got deep and it got hard and we had to we had to remove it and it's just beyond foul. Five ambulances, three army cots, and one less while on his house later. The cops pulled that guy out against his will so Neil's crew could chip away at the job. Neil doesn't do the cleaning anymore. He hates maggots, they're squishy, and spit, it's stretchy. He leaves that work to managers like Sean. Neil says every day he's more cynical, more hardened, more dispassionate. Like cops and doctors, that's how crime scene cleaners cope. We did a, a doggy breeder, a puppy mill out in Sassoon. Dead dogs in the house. And I don't mean one. I don't mean for a day or two. I mean decomposed, mummified, dead dogs on the floor of the kitchen, the floor of the bedroom, underneath a shelf here. That's how people live. This job, like each new horrific one he talks about, fills up Neil's seemingly bottomless well of outrage at the state of the human condition. It's like he carries around all these pieces of our darker sides. And Neil's planning to stick with this job, so his collection will keep growing. For B-Side, I'm Molly Peterson. It might seem like a giant leap to go from cleaning up blood and guts to changing diapers. But for Andrea Draper, the stay-at-home life isn't a whole lot easier. She's raising eight. Eight kids in Salt Lake City, Utah. I don't have a schedule. You know, I don't have menus. I sort of have vague goals. And one of them is that my five-year-old actually eats something before he goes to school. The worst is when you have everybody's CD players going at the same time. And if you get to that part of the house where everything sort of converges, it's enough to make you give up music altogether. The things that I'm interested in aren't necessarily homemaking type things. And frankly, I'm not very good at the homemaking type things. I probably would have been better at a career. So I have been so surprised by the fact that I love being a mother as much as I do. 
You gonna got, guys gonna draw a picture? Okay. I'm gonna draw. And after this, we're still like funny. Nine Kittery. Oop, sixty. We'll take him. In the town of Kittery, Maine, there's a police officer who's just as likely to wear a rhinestone jumpsuit as his uniform blues. Producer Adam Allington brings us this profile of the cop who would be king. Love me tender, love me sweet, never let me go. You have made my life complete. My name is uh, Chuck Denault. I am a law enforcement officer in the state of Maine, and uh, and one of my hobbies is uh, impersonating Elvis. He first started singing the songs around here in the station. Everybody thought he was a little whacked when he was uh, going to get up and Im impersonate Elvis, but he did a really good job with it. Um, women love him. Letters love me, tender. Elvis um, always wanted to be a cop. He was sworn in in many police departments. Uh, he, he used to ride around with the Memphis Police Department on night shifts. Well, uh, it's one of those things. You have to think that you're, you're really him. you got to look at the picture and, and remember what he looks like. And, and um, you know, think about Memphis, Tennessee, and Vegas, and Hawaii, and talk like a southern draw, and, and, and get the mannerisms down right, and it just comes out. Well, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people think that uh, he uh, he did a lot of shaking and gyrating. He did that until the, he started putting on the jumpsuits. About the jumpsuit time, he converted from gyration, swiveling the hips and swiveling his legs to uh, more karate moves. He was into karate big time. In fact, he was a second or third degree black belt. I'm like three months older than he was when he died. You know, so that, that's a weird thing, because when I was 16, 17, when he died, I couldn't believe it, you know? Boy, he was an old guy anyway. Now I'm 42, and it's like, you know, he wasn't so old. Is your heart filled with pain? Shall I come back again? Tell me, dear, are you lonesome? You know, I got aspirations. I want to do other things in life. But right now, I'm going to serve the people. I'll serve it wearing a badge. Uh, I like wearing a uniform. I like wearing the jumpsuits. Um, it does the same thing. If you make people happy, things aren't as bad as they really are. Hey, Chuck, you got me? Nine, Kittery. Hey, Kittery, nine. I went down to uh, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and I met Elvis's uh, best friend, Charlie Hodge. Or as Elvis said, Charlie Hodge. And um, I let him review a lot of my material, and uh, he took time right out when he found out I was a police officer. And uh, when I left, he said, and he knew I did a lot of charities and stuff, and he told me that Elvis and the good Lord looking down on you, uh, always keep up the good work. And uh, it was really, that was a really good... Uh, that was a really good uh, thing that he said to me. I felt I felt kind of good about it. Yeah, traffic, because I have some feel. Yeah. 
What do you got? Why can't you see me? What you do to me? You've been listening to B-Side. Our job profiles were produced by Rose Hoban, Erica Kelly, Amy Coombs, Ben Tamshin, and Tamara Keith, who is also our senior producer. Our crew is Dave Gilson, Lissa Mudd, and Claudine Zapp. Our theme music was composed by Dave Kaufman. I'm Mia Lobel.